when I say ridiculous, I just mean like I don't think that I at some point I ran out of ideas. <laughs> so just share some of them. All the censorship's driving me crazy. Okay. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, yo, it's Thursday morning. That means the TMBA podcast is back. It's a show where we talk about getting more personal freedom for you and your family by building a profitable business. Yes, sir. Try to trick to the business stuff. I'm joined by the boss man as always. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, but I'm, I'm a little bit upset. And we're going to get into why I'm a little bit upset. On today's show, Ian has agreed to unearth some ancient documents. So ancient, in fact, that they were actually paper documents. This has nothing to do with a hard drive. Dust them off and share with us some original old school dream lines that you wrote way back in the day when we first met and started our first business together. I didn't realize how soon we were going to get into the part where I'm very upset because we've just, <laughs> yeah. we're already there. I'm very happy to share this information with you and everybody listening to this show. I think it's cool for myself to be able to look back and think about the things that I was interested in and dreaming of back in 2009 and how a lot of those things came to be my reality. And I'm also thinking, you know, what's the next step? How am I going to recreate this? Because it's really fun looking back at this and seeing all the things that I've accomplished. What I'm upset about, though, is somehow, and you do this, you're, you're a master manipulator, <laughs> somehow, and I mean that in a nice way, we didn't end up talking about your dream line. How is that possible? How did I share the goods and you didn't have to share anything about what you wanted? Well, that's a longer episode, boss man. We'll get into that. <laughs> Look, you were so sustainably interesting for so long. Yeah. And here's the takeaway for the audience. Here's the idea. And this is how you pumped me up on the backside. <laughs> you were so sustainably interested. That's why. And then I started feeling good about it. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, maybe I am here. <laughs> Look. I see how you work. Here's the takeaway for the listeners is this process of actually taking some time for yourself to determine what you want independent of some other variables in your life, what your ideal life and day looks like. How can you take advantage of a process like this to build a new or better business? Does it work? Can we improve on it? We're going to take a look back at how you used it way back in 2009 and see if we can get some takeaways from that. And a bit later on in the episode, we're going to take a listener question as well, because we love those. And those questions are pretty easy to send in. You get that information at tropicalmba.com slash subscribe. We're happy to keep you anonymous if you prefer. But before any of that, I had to start off with a little bit of a rant. Been a little bit out of control in my life lately. <laughs> Not in a good way, boss man. <laughs> Let's start off there. I'm going to tell you about how special you are to me right now. Mm -hmm. and I want you to try, try not to choke up. Okay. You are the only person in my life who can text me a to-do item or something about business on my handset that I won't get mad about. <laughs> because I have taken all business off of my phone. Because what I found 
and I've had some crossover where I have had to go to people and say, like, look, do you want to be on this personal channel that goes to my phone? Because you got to stop bugging me about that thing that we agreed to work on together. Yeah. Because all I want to hear about on this channel is when our next bike ride is. I want to see funny pictures of your baby. I want you to send me a joke or a cool article that you found on the internet. I do not want you to say, hey, where's that thing that I asked for two days ago? Because that's going off my handset. And I don't want to hear about all the stuff that I have to do until I'm sitting down and doing it. Because what I've found is that knowing about all the stuff that I have to do actually prevents me from being able to do it well. One would think, knowing an evening in advance that there's a deadline the next morning, that you're going to think about it overnight, you're going to process it. But what all I do is have a baseline anxiety about it. And for some reason, I have lack of decisiveness when I sit down to do it the next morning because I've been treating it like it's a bigger deal than it is. So I've taken all that stuff off my telephone. Telephone's purely for fun. And when I sit down at my laptop, my two giant 27-inch monitors, it's business time. How do you roll? Important here is making rules for yourself. Like there's nobody making rules around like when you see this information and what devices it's on. And if you leave it up to chance or whatever... Before you know it, you're flooded and all of a sudden you're in a conversation with somebody at lunch and they're on their phone half the time and they're not present in the moment. So something is going on and I think it's it's worth talking about and it's worth sharing ideas on how to deal with it because I don't want to go as far as to say it's a disease, but it definitely, <laughs> I'm serious, It's it's. I think it's probably going to lead to serious issues down the road for some of us that cannot disconnect from these devices. I think Aziz Ansari, he wrote something, it might have been several months ago, basically, but he said that he took off everything off his phone. He took off Twitter, Instagram, and he said he stopped checking the New York Times because what he found was he would go to these sites, he would get information, and none of it was useful. He was just going there to see the next thing. And I think that that's what a lot of us are doing. We're just going on to these devices to see the next thing. There's nothing actionable coming from it. You're not changing your life. You're not doing anything different. You're just there to get the crack pellet. And I think that that's dangerous. And the crack pellet, that's just a little bit of dopamine or whatever, just to makes you feel a little bit better. Exactly. And what's happening in my life, what happened, and I think what you're finding in your life, is that it actually doesn't make you feel good. It actually brings, a, a like you said, a base level of anxiety to your life. It's taking you away from the real relationships that you could be having with people around you. And by the way, all the things that we need to do in our businesses and that the listeners listening to this need to do in their businesses, like none of those things are going to happen because you checked something, you responded to it, and then you checked it again. I have my own coping strategies with this. One of the things that I've implemented lately is I have a fun browser where I do all my car part shopping and all my racing stuff. Oh, we all have a fun browser, buddy. Yep. And then I have a business <laughs> browser. And so what was happening to me was I had all these tabs open and I would kind of key through them and then I would look over and say, oh, I got two new emails. Okay, let's look at those emails. Oh, okay, get sidetracked. Now I'm going to go look at these car parts or whatever. And it just helps me segment my time and be a little bit more thoughtful on what I'm doing. So I've sat down to my computer. This is a fun time on my computer or this is a time where I'm going to do business. Curious to hear what the audience thinks about that. Got a couple questions today. Let's get into them. A few weeks back, we talked about dreamlines. The thing is, is that we didn't mention what was on our dreamlines when we brought them up. So I wanted to ask you a question. Do you remember? First off, this was 10 years ago when we made our first dreamline. Yep, I remember. A long, long time ago. A dreamline is simply a document that asks you 
to calculate, and this is a hat tip to Tim Ferriss, the author of The 4-Hour Workweek. It asks you to write down what you want to be having in life, what you want to be doing in life, and what you want to be being in life. Okay, And we can maybe go into some detail about those three categories. But the idea is to calculate what it takes in terms of income or a business in order to get you what you really want in life. And the fundamental idea is this. You know, you go to a job and you give eight hours, 10 hours, whatever percentage of your week to the job. The job then gives you an agreed upon salary, say $45,000 a year. But you don't really want $45,000 a year or you don't really want to be a millionaire. You want the things that you think that money's going to get you. Yeah. X, Y, Z. Right. And the critical part of the dream line is, okay, what's X, Y, Z? Let's talk about those things because that might illuminate different strategies on how you can get there. What is XYZ being, having, and doing? And then also, how much will it actually cost? And that was the illuminating part for me in the spreadsheet way back in the day was, well, it actually doesn't cost that much to do X. I can figure out a way to do that, I think, in the next year. So how do you feel when you were sitting down filling out the sheet? Do you remember? I do remember. Yeah, we filled ours out together. We were on San Diego Harbor or Bay. We were in the San Diego Bay. We sat on a picnic table. Yeah. Very earnest. <laughs> sat down. Didn't have the cell phones back then. So uh. <laughs> You're listening to the TMBA podcast. The internet pays in volume. The internet does not pay in quality. I've learned that like me or one of my team dressing up as a pickle and handing out pickles is like a highly effective marketing strategy. I know that I am successful but I don't feel that way. I still feel like a failure. I don't know if we're damaged, but definitely fearful in some way. What about you, Mark? How are you damaged? Let's keep it to one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All that and more every Thursday morning. You can also check us out at tropicalmba forward slash subscribe. Let's talk about how that felt. I remember pretty distinctly how that felt, and it felt really weird outlining what you wanted for yourself in your future like it almost felt like and i still feel this way sometimes like i don't deserve it honestly if that makes sense like it feels like i'm writing these things down that i want most of my peers around me are not thinking like this like it's a selfish thing it's very selfish it feels selfish like how how dare i go after the things that i want like i should be just working and getting what i'm given well you're a young man too you know that's the other thing. I mean, people with different phases in their life, they might want to help other people out, right? You know, you might be in a position where you have to take care of people, like your parents, your family, your kids. So had you been in that situation, you know, those things might have shown up on your dreamline as well. Yeah. It, my dreamline from 2007 just looks like a single man's dream. <laughs> just <laughs> everything a single man could ever want, you know? Single privileged, by the way. Let me put that in there. No wonder you felt bad. And we're going to go through some of those items so that we can just try to embarrass ourselves to the max here. But there was a feeling that I felt that I'm not embarrassed about. This was one of the first times that I ever felt fundamental freedom of actually saying what it was I wanted. Before that, I would always think about things that I could join that already existed. So there was a time that when my job was so bad... I applied to join the Navy, or I wrote a letter to the Navy recruiter, and I said, look, I heard about this program where you guys 
you know, have some funding to teach people languages and there's some travel involved and I'm, I'm interested in it. And so I filled out the preliminary interest form and he wrote me back and he said, you're too fat. But uh, <laughs> I wasn't very motivated. I put, I was put off by that immediately. <laughs> but the idea is that I wanted these things in my mind. I, I wanted like some adventure. I wanted to travel. I wanted to learn. And so I never felt like privileged or not privileged. Like I didn't have the right to actually just go learn another language. I didn't have the right to just go travel. I didn't have the right to just go make money. I had to apply to other people for them to give that to me. Yeah. The strange thing about the dream line, it was one of those situations where it's like, and maybe that's why it felt weird for you too, is you sit down and you actually just say, you know what? Let's leave everybody else out of this. Let's have a conversation with myself. And it was a really breakthrough conversation for me because I realized that the things I wanted were simple. The things I wanted weren't expensive. The things I wanted, I didn't need to get them from other people. Yeah. And also the things that you want or that I put on my dream line, I actually ran out of ideas. There's five spaces in each category. By the third space, I was like, I guess I don't want that much. I'm all out of things to want. <laughs> you know, the good life is a simple one. You don't have to have it all. And what I found, well, let's talk about what we found. Let's take a look at some of the items on your dream line, if you don't mind. Yeah. Before we talk about our reflections on it. So the one I have, actually, I can't find the 2007, but I did find my 2009, which is basically... So this is two years after we started our business. Two years after. Okay. Yep. So you have this sitting in front of you. Yeah. Let's hear what a single man's dream life looked like in San Diego in 2009. It's like a time capsule. It's like opening it up and wipe the dust off and let us know. What did you want? Okay, so first thing, this is in the having category. Again, it says having, being, and doing. There's a description, and then there's a cost. And then next to that cost category, is this a one-time cost? Yes or no? Is it monthly? Yes or no? In 2009, I wanted six plane tickets to various cities with $1,000 cash for each trip. All right. So I think around 2007, 2008, we started doing a lot more travel for business. I can't remember if at this time you had already left the United States to live in Philippines, Vietnam. But for me, I was still at the office. We were just trying to get this business off the ground. We were subleasing this thousand, geez, it might have been like 500 square foot warehouse. We had boxes just stacked up to the ceiling, no racks. I really wanted to travel. And so I was figuring out a way, how can I get out of San Diego for limited amounts of time, still have the business run and be able to afford it? So that was the first thing on my having list. What do you budget for that? I figured that that would cost $10,800 a year. And at this time, gosh, I don't think we could have been making more than $40,000 a year a piece. All right. So the next thing, let's jump down to the being section. And I'm just going to go with all my number ones because I have to assume that these were the most important to me at the time. So being description, completely mobile at any time. Hmm, That makes sense with the having, right? I want to get out of the US. To make it happen, I needed office support. I think we may have hired our first person by then. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I needed office support. And what did I have here? Monthly cost, $400. Times were different. Or <laughs> I was completely out of touch with what things cost. What kind of support are you talking about? Like a two by four? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, well, tell me some more stuff on there. Okay. So let's jump down to the doing section. I wanted to be doing, this was my number one. Higher level deal negotiations. And the goal was $1 million in revenue next year. Hmm. So that's interesting. I kind of remember actually this time. 
so we had started selling valet podiums online and the way that we were winning was we took our budget and we decided instead of going to industry conferences, we're going to take that money and we're going to invest in internet marketing because that's something that none of our competitors were doing. And we felt like in five years, if we invested in the internet over going to these events, we would win. And that's exactly what happened. But here's what I remember about that, Dan. We were decent at SEO, but the first couple of times people called us, these were like the CEOs. Search engine optimization. Yeah, we were ranking number one for terms like valet podium. And the first couple of times people called us, a lot of times it was like the CEO of these companies because they were so excited that a new equipment supplier had come up. And a lot of times these weren't large companies, you know, 10, 20, 30 employees, but they were so excited that a new equipment company came up that they would call directly. And I would just be like frozen in my tracks, you know, I'd be like, oops, like I know how to design a product. We kind of figured out how to get to number one in Google. And now like the CEO is calling me. It was the first time in the reason why I wrote this down on my Dreamline, higher level deal negotiations. I didn't know how to talk to these people. Like I said, I knew how to build a valet podium, but I didn't, I didn't understand the fundamentals of like how to sell 50 podiums at one time. And that opportunity clearly existed once these guys started calling me and getting them on the phone. They were talking about problems with their other equipment manufacturers. I could see that there was an opportunity to sell them 50 podiums a year, but I didn't know how to get those deals done. It's interesting. Do you think a Dreamline is helpful in the context of running a business or are they more helpful in the context of when you're trying to make a change? Because there's things that the business needs on the one hand and there's things that you need, you know, and there's a lot of overlap between the two. Totally. I think if you're having trouble with your business or your career, it's a good time to sit down and ask yourself, particularly when you get down to doing and being, and you ask yourself, what am I pissed off about? What do I want to fight against? You know, What am I pumped up about? What's my purpose? Who do I want to help? This is a chance to kind of take a look at all that stuff. And you can ask yourself if your business or if your career is doing anything about any of that. One of the things that was so cool about that business at that time is that it was, you know, like what's cool about this streamline that I'm seeing is that that business was a platform for you to challenge yourself, you know, to learn these new things, to make that extra money, to travel the world and all that. And that, it really was all those things for us. It was a way to fuel our dreams. Question for you. What do you leave off that dreamline that you should have put on? That's tough, man. There's a couple of ridiculous things on here. Like what? So, Okay. When I say ridiculous, I just mean at some point I ran out of ideas. Look, we're going to create a safe space for you (laughs) and you can share with us. (laughs) I don't think they're that ridiculous. Just share some of them. All the censorship's driving me crazy. A couple things in being. So number one was completely mobile anytime. (laughs) Number two, leader in valet parking equipment. And then the section next to it, to make it happen, what is it going to take? Lots of work. That's what I wrote in there. (laughs) But here's what's interesting is there's not even a cost associated with that. When truly there is a cost associated with that, and we've talked about this many times on the show, is lost friendships. I didn't get to participate in a lot of things that my friends were participating at the time. So when I look at the cost of becoming the leader in Valley Parking Equipment, it cost a lot. I mean, it cost a lot. And not necessarily in terms of money, but in terms of how I spent my time, the people that I associated myself with. The third thing that I wrote in being, and this is when I think I started to get a little bit sidetracked, was involved with new ventures. What is it going to take to make it happen? Networking. All right. And I remember feeling this way for like several years in the beginning of this business was we were so young and we were so full of piss and vinegar that we just felt like we could do anything. And so it's like, I want all the ventures. Do you remember we were in Hong Kong one night? 
think we just like finished going to China to visit a supplier. We came across this guy and I think he was probably 20, 30 years older than us. And he was like, guys, you have a lot of ideas. You have a lot of things going on. What you need to do is focus. You need to not be so interested in everything that you see around you. You have a great opportunity here to build out this business. Just focus on that. Do you remember this guy? No. And I just remember thinking like, you're old. You don't know much. (laughs) Thanks for the advice. (laughs) I still think about that guy regularly because several people in my life and in my career have said that. And I think the older I get, the more it rings true that you can only do a couple things at any given time. And so focus really made sense. And so when I look back at this streamline and it says involved with new ventures, I just think that that's a lack of focus. What can our listeners learn from your dreamline? Well, it doesn't cost anything to make one. That's for damn sure. I think that looking back at this, like I think I accomplished everything on this list that was worth accomplishing, plus more. And another thing to mention about this dreamline is I don't think the reason I accomplished it was because I wrote it down, but I do think it helped me to get definition on what I actually want. Here's one of the strategies that I think is really important to try and employ as early as possible is to test out some of these things, especially the expensive things, and figure out if you actually want them. I've done that with retirement, by the way. Yeah. That was my experiment. Yeah. You know, retirement generally costs you about 35 years of full-time effort and prodigious saving and discipline. You got to do all these things to achieve this. Well, I just went and retired. That's what I did. <laughs> and I realized that I don't I don't want that at all. In fact, I won't even be willing to work one year for it, let alone 35. <laughs> <laughs> I want something sort of in the middle, which is I want to be able to choose my projects. I want to be able to work on things that are interesting. And I want to be able to take Wednesdays off when I want Wednesdays off. That's very important. Final thoughts on this dreamline for me. One of the sections in here, again, is having, and I put in a Canon digital DSLR and one-time cost of $1,500. And then at the bottom of the spreadsheet is your target monthly income. So what you actually need to make to make all this stuff happen. Mine was $5,400 a month. At the time, that was such a huge number. I could not imagine making $5,000 a month of basically disposable income to be able to achieve my dreams. What's interesting, Dan, is like looking at my life now, almost 10 years later, I could fill out this and maybe I should because I probably haven't done it for three or four years. But the target monthly income, it never ends up being that high, honestly. Now, I have some like expensive hobbies and things like that, like auto racing, motorcycle racing, travel, obviously. But when I actually amortize out how often I want to be doing those things on a monthly basis, it's not that much. One of the things you mentioned, you have this theory that the five-star vacation doesn't make you happier than the three-star vacation? I don't know. For me, like every time I've spent big bucks and like gone on these vacations, stayed in five-star hotels, the experience is, it doesn't have enough grit for me. Like it doesn't, I didn't learn much on those trips. I didn't get to see the things that I generally enjoy to see. And so- No challenge. There's no challenge, man. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, the experiences that you pay the least for can be the most impactful. And that's what I've found to be true. So enough about us. It's time for us to take another question from you, the listener. And we're always respected if you want to remain anonymous with these questions. So we're going to call this emailer Mark. Hey guys, I've been listening to the podcast since early 2010. Recently, I shut down a business due to cash flow issues. After a run of failed businesses over the years and being unable to afford to pay the rent, and buy food, I had to give in and get a sales job, essentially. 
I have managed to not go bankrupt in the process and have made some major lifestyle changes. The business I just shut down was a Shopify e-commerce store. It turned over more than 400,000 pounds in 12 months, but due to poor inventory and cash flow management and trying to scale too fast, I broke the business and run out of cash to keep it going. I had an idea bubbling away over the last few months inspired by the thousand day rule. It comes up on the show and is discussed often. So the thousand day rule states that if you start a business, you open a business, it's likely to take three years of full-time effort to make back the sort of money and profits from your business that you were making from your professional career. It's just a rule of thumb. So Mark's starting to think, what could I achieve with a consistent daily effort, but thinking bigger and taking a longer term view. Using Dan and Ian's thousand day rule, I plan to help my friend's company grow, the one he's working for now, while in the background and on the side, work on a new product and business idea that I have. Running sales for my friend gives me a stable income and the means that I do not need to live off of my new business idea. The question I have is this, do you think it is a good idea to document and journal my thousand day journey in either a vlog or a podcast. Thanks for your time. Maybe one day I will be a success story on the podcast. Wow. So in my mind, you are already a success story. And I'm not kidding. A $400,000 a year business is no joke. I think a lot of the people listening to this podcast are thinking, wow, that's amazing. The fact that you ran it into the ground, you're not alone, Mark. I've heard that story a hundred times of people with not the right skill sets. I don't think it's because you're not smart enough or anything like that. I just think that you probably hadn't dealt with that amount of money before. You hadn't dealt with that amount of responsibility. You know, in our business, we had a product business and it was inventory based. It took a lot of energy to juggle that. A lot of energy. I think it's one of the actually the harder things that I've done in business is to juggle inventory and cash flow management. And honestly, there's not a lot of resources out there. I can only attribute my frugalness, Dan. You are frugal. And my unwillingness to pay ourselves at the beginning of the business to our success there. So listening to your story, Mark, is inspiring. And I think if you were able to do it once, you're able to do it again. Now, should you document your path, your journey? Whoa, 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 whoa. You're getting ahead of me. I have to say something about this because one of the things that Mark said is after a run of failed businesses over the years... Let me tell you something about NBA players, boss man. NBA players make more money than almost any athlete in the world. The reason, there's only five people on a court, right? So they got all this money. They're huge in China. There's money coming all around the world from this global sport. And there's like 500 guys to split the pie with, you know? And so these guys are getting paid more than NFL quarterbacks. They're getting paid more than Premier League football players. Now, does that mean that you should consider the NBA for your next career prospect. I'm a little short. Are you asking me? No. I'm asking you. I don't think it's going to work out. But Ian, it's a great opportunity. The NBA players, they travel all the time. They make great money. They get summers off. This is about as good as it gets. But have you ever heard of this thing? It's called Horses for Courses. And it's this idea that just because something is a good opportunity doesn't mean it's a good opportunity for you. The NBA is, of course, the league that you would choose to be a part of. It's progressive. It's cool. It pays well. But yeah, you can't hoop, right? (laughs) I can't hoop. (laughs) You got to ask yourself. This is something difficult for everybody is to take an honest inventory yourself and say, yeah, 
e-commerce is an awesome opportunity. SaaS is an awesome opportunity. Consulting, you name it, productized service, these are great things. But is it a great opportunity for you? Is the run of failed businesses, did that have to do with you, the opportunity or the cash flow? And sometimes the case is you. I had a friend one time who used to describe entrepreneurship like this. He would say, oh my God, entrepreneurship, it's so crazy. It's always crash and burn, feast or famine. You know, I'm thinking to myself, this is, I've never, I don't know any entrepreneurs like that. Right. That's you that's feast and famine. That's you that's crash and burn. And so part of the reason dreamlines are interesting, part of the reason entrepreneurship is so tough is that you got to look within yourself and ask yourself, what's your superpower? What can you do that others can't do, you know? I don't have any sort of great insight into that, but I think there's an opportunity for everybody. That's the cool thing. You know, like the internet's a huge space. When we got started in the valet podiums, we weren't expert internet marketers, but we were just more expert than everybody in valet podiums at the time because they were expert at, you know, welding steel boxes together. That's my first point, Ian, is that you have to take an inventory of yourself just because a business idea looks good on paper doesn't mean it's good for you. And I've seen this come up countless times on the show. Well, it seems to me like Mark is very good at sales. That's what he's doing for his friend's company. And he was able to achieve $400,000 in sales at his old business. Exactly. Yeah. What's with the e-commerce inventory management stuff? Maybe the idea is that you focus on what you're good at. Right. And so that could mean a couple of things. That could mean bringing somebody into your business and saying, I am awful at this. I have no business doing this. I need you to help me do this. Or that could mean working sales at somebody else's business like you're doing right now. And the reality is early on in a business, it can mean getting a partner because you don't have the money to pay somebody. It's too risky to pay someone a hundred grand. And sometimes when you get Paul and John writing songs together, they sound better than just when John writes a song. Now, Dan, a lot of people probably are thinking like, well, this is a skill that you can learn. This isn't something that you have to crash and burn at. So why give up equity to somebody else when a little bit of discipline, maybe going and taking a couple courses, something like that? Yeah, because the event horizon on this one is so thin, like your chances of survival are so small. You know, for every venture you start, yeah, nine out of 10 small businesses fail. So start 10. You got to move fast. You know, you can't be waiting around trying to learn stuff over the course of multiple years. I'm all about moving with some velocity here. You know, the opportunity window is small. And the people who saw things like Amazon sites, when the affiliate network came out and pumping them up with private blog networks and stuff, you know, we were talking about that a few months ago on the show. That was an opportunity that some people saw three years ago. They didn't sit around and take an online course or wait till the podcast talked about it or anything. They just went and did it, right? There's a cost to waiting around and waiting until you feel like you understand what's going on, you know? I'm going to read a little bit more into this too, what Mark has sent us. And this is more a comment, not on Mark, but on a lot of people that have failed at businesses. One of the things I liked about what Mark wrote us is that he took full responsibility for the failures in his business. And I think this is actually pretty rare that someone will take full responsibility. Generally, get a question like this, someone will write in and say, you know, well, the economy took a dump in 2008. So my business really took a dump. Well, this happened to me, that happened to me. Mark is his own victim, which I think just knowing that, that you are the cause of this, you are 10 steps ahead, my friend, of most people. 100%. Do you think it's a good idea to document it? Here's the thing. Of the people who've documented it, we are examples of people who've done this. There's been countless examples of people on the show like Dan Norris, Empire Flippers. It's not hard to come up with examples of people who've documented their entrepreneurial journey 
and I've never heard one person. Okay, that's not true. I have heard some regrets of people sharing a little bit too much detail in the wrong places. But nine times out of 10, people say, that was great. I built a network. I had a support thing. It wasn't directly or this or that, but I'm glad I did it. But here's what you don't hear about. We've been here a long time, eight years, Ian, and I've seen a lot of people try to document what they're doing with their business, and they end up spending more time documenting. The reality is, is if you tell people what you're doing, you share with people your journey, there's a real kind of immediate feedback loop that feels good about that. And maybe there's nothing to be feeling good about. You really want to ask yourself how much energy it's going to take you to document it. Kind of my advice on this is if you can do it in a way that is cost effective, then I'd say yes. But if really what you want is validation, you want to connect with people, it can be a little bit too seductive and it can pull you off the path of doing what you need to do, which is grow a successful business. And once you do that, you're not going to have no trouble building a network, support, community. That's the thing is like you don't have to do these sort of documentation strategies in order to have all the benefits that those people had. I'm 50-50, boss man. The thing is, I just don't want people to get distracted and get positive feedback from things where what you need to be getting positive feedback is on your customers. Is my business profitable? And maybe a better way to go is to find a mastermind of just five or six people growing similar kinds of businesses than just to talk to anybody on the internet who wants to commiserate with people on an entrepreneurial journey. Because those aren't really the people that are going to know what the heck you need to do next. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, when you share your story with people, the kinds of benefits that they're going to get are not the kinds of benefits that you think that you're providing them with. So like people will pull out like a little nugget from somewhere in episode 173 that really struck a chord with them and changed their trajectory. But the truth is, I believe this, Dan, the truth is that they needed to hear that message at that time and that message resonated with them. And there's a million other places where they could have got that from. So I think if you go into this thinking that you're going to change people's lives directly and it's going to be some kind of awakening for people, really, the biggest awakening that can happen is for yourself. Big thanks to Mark for the question. Do keep in touch. You can ask your question at tropicalmba.com slash subscribe. Go there and subscribe. We've got all kinds of goodies. You can go back and listen to the back catalogs. That's where a lot of these ideas were originally formulated, like the thousand day principle, probably our most cited idea around the web. But it's pretty simple. I mean, the basic idea is just this is hard. This is hard. What you're trying to do, it's incredibly difficult. It really is. It's so easy to make light of it on shows like this. We're guilty of it as much as everybody else. When you talk about things in the past, you simplify them, you notch together the story. And then you look at a story like Mark's and it's like, well, that's the way it really happens for many of us. You know, you don't come on the podcast to this till you have a breakthrough, until it all falls together. And sometimes it doesn't come together for many, many years after many failed attempts and efforts. And most people just hang up the towel, man. Most people don't don't stick to it. So to get through, it takes an incredible amount of energy, resources. It takes a lot. That's all I'm saying. It takes a lot. You know, I think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions, and that's why that article written over five years ago still gets shared. It was recently cited on a podcast. It gets shared all the time because I think entrepreneurs that are starting to see the daylight or have achieved a level of personal freedom, and they're trying to share this message with their friends and associates and colleagues, they look to this idea and they say, look, 
what I just did, it's not like choosing to go to X school over Y school or choosing to work at X firm over Y firm. Like it is incredibly difficult to get to the other side and to, and to end up with a profitable business on your hands and to be the owner of that business and to get paid by it and have the, your employees go to work on time and keep the thing going and everything. Incredibly difficult. So I think people that get there, they say, look, this is worthwhile. It's a lot of work, but get your mindset right on this stuff. You know, It's not just going to appear in front of you. So back to work then. That's one thing we can all commiserate on. Back to work, dude. We all got a lot to do. We love your questions. Send them to us. Check out tropicalmba.com slash subscribe. And of course, we will be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Oh, yeah. See you then. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.